Shalom, bonjour, guten tag, namaste, yasu, jonapat, salve, hello and welcome to the Dean of the Dead podcast's first ever episode. In this episode, myself, Dustin and Marco will be pulling apart, hacking to pieces, dissecting, taking the piss out of and putting back together 1988 comedy horror sci-fi brain damage directed by Frank Henelotter. We also find out how it feels to get shunted from actor Tim Bartell as we discuss his role as David Blanchard in 1989 social elite horror orgy classic Society. But before we get into all of the above, I'm going to hand you over to the lovely Lady Marion Michael for this episode's blood soaked bulletin. Over to you, Marion. <laughs> Greetings, you nasty batch. I'm Mariam, and this is the Blood Soaked Bulletin. Victor Crowley, the murderous force from the Hatchet series, is returning in Adam Green's Hatchet, Unstoppable Horror. American Mythology Productions' one-shot comic book will include, quote, three complete tales of gut-ripping terror. FX is working on an alien TV series. According to showrunner Noah Hawley, it will not include the character Ripley and will be taking place on planet Earth. George Romero's work is being reinterpreted in animated form with Night of the Animated Dead. The fall release will have a star-packed cast, including Catherine Isabella, Dulé Hill, and Josh Duhamel. DC Comics has finally released its new horror imprint, DC Horror. The first title is officially The Conjuring, The Lover, of which the story works as a prelude to the film The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. The video game franchise Dead Space is finally being brought back by EA. According to sources, it will be a reboot, similarly to how it was done by the Resident Evil series. Huntakiller is bringing out a new line. Fans of the interactive mystery experience will soon be able to purchase Murder at the Motel, Body on the Boardwalk, and their premium box, Camp Calamity. And MGM is working on a sequel to the animated Adams Family movie. Numerous new character posters have been released, and the movie is scheduled to be released for Halloween. That's all for now from the Blood-Soaked Bulletin. Back to you, Dean. Horror fans, welcome to the section of the show that we have given the very fitting title of... Oh my god, I can't believe you never seen that! <laughs> Basically, yeah, for anyone that, that couldn't quite make that out, that was... Oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen that! 
Um, why, why are we calling it this? Well, I think, so Marco, you've asked me on many, many occasions, like, have you seen this? Have you seen that? We were just talking a minute ago about the reanimated film. I think that's kind of how we first started yeah. getting talking about horror. Um, and uh, you asked me if, you know, being a horror fan, have you seen Reanimator? And I was like, no, I've never seen Reanimator. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen that. <laughs> I was mildly mad at you, yeah. You was, and then you lent me the film and I think I, I kept it in my possession for like, God knows how long. And you're like, hey dude, can I get my copy of Reanimator back? <laughs> <laughs> and I kept, I kept in inverted commas, forgetting it. But... And when we brought it back, our manager, Baloo, took it from me. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. I want it. I, I always wanted to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And you know what? I'm glad that that is how we bonded over horror through watching that film, because it is a classic. Yeah, it I agree. is. Um, so, yeah, so I thought that is a really, that's a fitting title for this segment of the podcast. And I thought, and this is my chance. Now we can kind of throw these films around. And, and um, so we've each picked a film for each other that we haven't seen before, gone away, watched it, and now we've rocked up here to chat and discuss about how good or how goddamn fucking awful it was. <laughs> um, so uh, all the way from across the pond in the Athens of America, we have Dustin. How's it going, How's buddy? How's it going, everybody? Dustin, welcome to the show, man. Uh, Dean, thank uh, you so much for having me, man. Oh, I really no, appreciate it. Dustin's from you. Tell, tell the people about your podcast, The Barons, the Barons Hideout. Yeah, so I have my own uh, horror podcast that's called The Baron's Hideout underscore podcast, or I can just call it The Baron's Hideout podcast, and um, I'm based in America, and um, I do it with my co-host Aaron. We do it pretty much weekly. Uh, we usually live stream it every Saturday. Uh, we try to base it around movies that either he hasn't seen or I haven't seen or we both seen that we enjoy a lot and just kind of discuss it and just have fun with it. We don't really have an agenda other than just talk about the movie and hopefully get other people to enjoy the things that we enjoy. Love that you guys had such a great vibe. I was like, man, you, you, this you'd work really well on this the Dean of Dead podcast. I said um, across the pond in Boston, the Athens of America or the Puritan City. Do people call it that? Um, yeah, I uh, think they used to, but um, not as much anymore. We just call it Boston. I or Massachusetts. Looking, I was looking at a list of uh, nicknames for Boston. I don't know <laughs> and then I got I got the Puritans here, the Cradle of Liberty. I thought that's quite a good one. Wow, that's one I haven't heard in a long time. Like a lot of stuff is what we used Bean, to talk about in school. <laughs> Bean for sure. Bean Town is that one? You yeah, know? yep. A lot of people still um, t uh, say that. Yep. City of Champions. That's some good ones to be fair. City of Champions. That's still very relevant. A lot of people yeah. still say that. Yeah. The, the hub. <laughs> the hub. Um, a little closer to the UK than Dustin, we have Marco, Mr. Marco Magistro. Marco, how's it going, buddy? All good, all good. I'm uh, suffering yeah. a little bit with the heat around here, but other than that, it's uh, not too bad. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me as usual. I can't say that I'm having the same problem with the heat here in the UK because it's been flipping raining uh, all day. <laughs> it's brutal here. Oh. <laughs> brutal. It's supposed to be summer over here. It's, this is no yeah. kind of summer. Uh -huh. I think our first day of summer was last Saturday. I think the Saturday that just passed. I forget. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I only pay attention to when the fall comes around. You're, you're, <laughs> sounds like you guys are getting a proper summer, though. This is like our summer is kind of like three days of sun, 20 days of rain. And then, and then like one day the of sun. 
one day of sun to kind of tease you back into it. Everyone gets their shorts on and gets the wheels of barbecue out. And they're like, shit, quick, go out and buy some meat and some beer. And then it fucking <laughs> rains again. It's like, ah! Yeah, it's gone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate the sun, though, because I, I'm the type of person who just burns and doesn't tan until like a week or two later. So if I'm in the sun for like more than an hour, regardless yeah. of how hot it is, I burn so bad. I'm like a lobster. It's awful. Uh, see, I, I would love, I love it when it's cloudy and rainy. So I can uh, agree on that one, Dean. I love I the do, rain. I do love rain. I'm a big fan of rain, but I don't have the the the, the going like the Italian uh, like a lobster problem. I've got Italian blood, like you, Marco. Man, I bet you go a nice, a nice, uh, a nice golden I, brown. Right. So my my horror homework assignment for for the week for for, for the segment of the show. Um, let me just let me just check i've got this little bit right so bear with me guys i can chop all this shit out not that shit but the other stuff i'll leave it all in only yeah (laughs) (laughs) do outtakes (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah so my horror homework assignment for this week uh was the is the 1988 comedy horror slash sci-fi flick brain damage um when Marco asked me if I'd ever seen brain damage before, I was like, Do you know what? No, I've never seen brain damage before. And Marco said, Oh my God. What did you say, Marco? Cue the music. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you've never seen that. <laughs> and there was, he also screamed at the end like that as well. He's yeah. Like, Oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen that. Ah! Yeah, I think I screamed, yeah. So brain damage, man. Um I mean, wow, that's a that's a very unique bit of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can definitely uh, say that, yeah. Written and directed by Frank Hennenlotter. Frank Hennenlotter, is that how you say it? Yeah. Frank, yeah. That's pretty Frank, close. Frank Hennenlotter of Basket Case and Frankenhooker fame. I mean I think if those other titles or anything to go by, if you've seen those, you kind of know what you're going to get with Frank and a lot of movie. Like, didn't he also do um, Frankenhooker? Yes, Frankenhooker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frankenhooker. I think, okay. I think, I think this guy must have taken. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but a lot of LSD. Uh, yeah. Considering what brain damage is, I would probably assume so. Yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> that movie is definitely you on drugs. <laughs> it, oh yeah, for sure, man. It's just a trip. There seem to be like a lot of kind of like Henson-esque puppetry as well. I mean, obviously not nowhere near as good as Henson, but do you know what I mean with, um, what's his name? Elmer, right, I've got his name written down uh, here somewhere. No, 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 I can, I can tell you because I've, uh, um, I've got the arrow. Elmer, that's it. And yeah. there is a lot of explanations on the special effects. Yeah. It's all actually, it's, it's never a puppet. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a, life-size little snake with uh, <laughs> a and apparently you know some of them are still existing but the foam latex outside is kind of like uh popping off from everywhere they, they actually show some of these ones the, the existing ones it was actually they, they interacted with this thing and, and this thing had its own wow depth for the the, the moments when he opens his mouth yeah it's a much bigger scale little, you know, <laughs> build that wow. it's made purpose to like uh, get the close-ups of the, the needle coming out of his mouth. 
it, it kind of looked to me, it reminded me of like a more sinister kind of version of that little worm in Labyrinth. Oh, do you wow. know the one? That, do you know the one? I mean, That's... I mean, he actually looked like a either like a big purple dick or like a blue gherkin or something like that. More, <laughs> more, more so. But no, he kind of reminded me of like a like a trippy version of that little worm in you know in Labyrinth where she goes and he's like, "Hello, do you want to come in for a cup of tea?" I don't know. Do you know the yeah. bit? I mean, I don't know if you know about me. I can see that. So man, I love the opening theme music with um to, to brain damage. The opening theme music with all the kind of bolt bolts of lightning it's so very 80s and that synth sound but it kind of just it, it was cracking me up because it just sounds like you know like if someone just, just hands a keyboard to a kid and they turn it on and they're just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like, very much it was like zero structure to the the music at all but it kind of fits the movie right because the movie's just so batshit mental <laughs> but real kind of 80s synths and the bolts of lightning i love all those really kind of cheesy effects and I've watched this film a few times, man, and it's just like, what the hell? So yeah, I had to blows your mind. I've seen it a couple it's times too. It's, it's very like, yeah, this this movie. I don't know. Would you think this would be a movie that would be able to be made today? That's another question I try to ask myself when I see movies like this. I mean, we have movies like Fried Berry, and that's also really bonkers. Yeah, I don't know wow. if anyone would be as kind of daring, like, because it's such a, it's such a piece of art like what was you talking about earlier on marco a film that's like a piece of art like um what was we chatting about previously uh, it was street trash street trash yeah it's kind of in a similar kind of realm i think it's like, it an art house movie ish than street trash but i think it's it's kind of like it's kind of there in terms of like the the art value yeah i think it, it it matches the same kind of like uh, it, it's so unique and so the concept is, is just not so tried and recycled from other things i think is quite up there yeah in terms of the, the value yeah 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 although it's not no any other stylish as as street trash street trash is just i mean every yeah, shot that's yeah, that it's a whole different movie yeah and so we so we see the old couple in the opening scene like they kind of she kind of comes in no i think he the guy comes in and he's got this package and he puts it on the table and she opens it up and there's like these brains <laughs> and i literally just sat down with my dinner i'd made like a spaghetti bolognese man. i sat down i, put, I thought i'll put the movie on <laughs> i was like okay right that's well, it you know when you when you watch the you you can see that something is going on with these two old people and then and then we move on to to brian well, yeah and, uh, also, and he wakes up you know finding something on his head it, it just makes you think of like we all had probably like some really crazy night and then we wake up the morning after and we we're like what the fuck happened to me last yeah. night? And you find maybe blood somewhere or something, you know, like you hit yeah. something and you didn't, you completely kind of like blanked out and forgot. Yeah. It just makes you, it, it keeps you wondering. It keeps you yeah. at the beginning, you know, trying to guess what, what on earth do you... Well, she kind of, so she's brought in the brains and she's put the brains down and I'm thinking, okay. And then she kind of she goes in, walks into the bathroom with a, with like a plate of brains and she looks in the bath and she's like, oh my God, he's gone. And I'm like, what the fuck? Literally, <laughs> you're only like 10 seconds into the movie. I'm like, what's going on, Brent? 
Um, and then she, I mean, then she was desperate. And then, and then well, like, but then she has this like huge mental breakdown. Like, yeah. oh my god, he's gone! And then they're like, they're tipping out the cupboards, they're emptying the bookshelf, they're like knocking over lamps, they're just chucking fucking statue. I'm like, what's what are they looking for? It could be hiding behind a statue or like <laughs> behind a lamp. But obviously, you know, you find that out, you know, later on, later on in the film. But this woman, she completely loses her shit. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting introduction to a movie. Um, so then we click, then we flick to uh, uh, Brian, and we see well the character that we get, we learn later on is Brian, and he kind of wakes up and he's he's all sort of sick and blue. Um, and then we see his girlfriend Barbara, right, and she's yeah. banging on about going to a gig, and he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm up for that. Um, but you go go with my brother Mike, and then you, you straight away you can see that Mike's a seedy motherfucker. He's 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 already he's been eyeing up Barbara for some time because I was as they kind of walk out to the gig and he's kind of like checking her out i'm like that's your brother that's your brother's chick man you that's you know that's wrong and then it kind of cuts back to the old couple and they're just on the floor like convulsing and foaming at the mouth and i'm just like what the, yeah, hell's like, going what the fuck <laughs> what's going on so basically yeah so then then it goes back to what you were talking about um where you see then brian lying in his bed and and he's got all this blood on the back of his neck and you're like well shit, that was a heavy night um and then, and then, and then it goes to the scene that kind of, I think the one that kind of I remembered the most from the movie, like both the times that I watch it, where he's kind of lying back on the bed and he's got this big sort of giant eyeball looking down at him, and then the room fills with all this kind of blue water, and it's kind of submerging him slowly. It kind of reminded me of like an old eighties kind of MTV, like a Peter Gabriel music video or something like that, like a, oh, a yeah. Floyd video. Do you know what I mean? Like sledgehammer, you know, those really kind of arty yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just imagine mm-hmm. it to something like that. Right. Like really art house, really trippy, really super trippy. And as it kind of just builds up, and I thought that was, that's like super artistic. That, that's really, you know, but then. Yeah, I love that scene. That really stood out to me, man, when I watched it. And I just, I don't know, something about it. It's been really, really quite harrowing about that. I don't know why. I think it's, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but yeah, I think probably, yeah, <laughs> drowning whilst you're lying in bed in blue. It's like a really bad dream, I guess, isn't it? Like a nightmare. But then I was kind of yeah. getting the gist of what was going on because you've got the, the the eyeball in the sky. I thought, okay, perhaps this is like some sort of alien. Um, and then and then he kind of stands up and he's kind of patting himself down and he sees this thing and it works its way up and and it just kind of like pokes this little snake thing. It's the first time we see Alma and he kind of pokes his head up and he's just like, hi. <laughs> like, Such a gentleman. Oh, there's, 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 there's a story there as well on the on the extras on the blu-ray as well i mean that the the voice it's right. some i've got very him. i've got him here oh, all right so you know you know about that yeah yeah hang on he's like a d he does a lot of horror voices doesn't he um ah shit, let me find him no i think it's something different it used to be some like very famous tv presenter so it was a very well-known voice. I now, I now miss, you know, For the, some the reason my mind's going to Frank Oz. That's not right, no, is it? No, no. Here we go. John, John Zachary. Credit is a John, John Zachary uh, was an American. Yeah, the horror host, right? He was an American television host, radio personality, singer and voice actor. He was best known, yeah, his long, best known for his long career as a television horror host. Yeah. Yep, the horror host, yep. Often. That's often, right. Broadcasting. That's what I mean. It was like a TV presenter whose voice was so. Like, ah, okay, right. Yeah, sorry, I must have read that wrong. I thought he was doing voiceovers, yeah. but no, yeah, horror host. Yeah, he sounds yeah, he like a, way, um, a little while ago, unfortunately. 
He oh, he passed uh, away. Oh, man. Uh, 2016, aged 98. That's a good yeah, And he was still doing it, man. He was still going to, like, conventions and stuff. He was wow. always on about the show. He was always there, man. Wow. Yeah, he, so basically, that's when we see the, the, the little talking alien. And it's like a big sort of giant talking blue gherkin. <laughs> that's what I thought straight away. Uh, and I imagine that was like 15 minutes into the movie. And I can imagine that's the point when people will be like, right, okay, I'm, I'm either in for the rest of this film or I'm, I'm ducking out at this point. But, um, yeah. Who does who does the effects? Who does all the effects? Do you know? I didn't. Uh, um, I don't remember. I think it was Gabe Bartolos. Right. I don't know who that is. It is done also basket case. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that would make uh, sense. Some some people pronounce that Bartolos or something yeah. like that, but it was Gabe Bartolos. That's this is the that's the first moment where we see him kind of leak all the blue goo over his brain. That's a good effect. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then he kind of goes off to this um this sort of uh like uh what is it like a car junkyard full of cars and he <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, this part with all the lights and everything. He's like tripping out. It looks like a Coldplay concert. Like like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, you know, the Kincaid yeah section yeah. in the car junkyard. But yeah, it was it was like that. Yeah, yeah. A lot earlier than that. It was like that. Cross, oh yeah, for sure. But it was kind Brave, of like that, yeah. it was like that scene sort of crossed with a, a Coldplay concert with all the <laughs> lights like bouncing <laughs> off of the bonnets and stuff like that. But yeah, that, I love those kind of eighties effects. You know, those real kind of just cheesy. Yeah, and super he, cheesy. And that's when you know this is a film that's definitely hinting towards drugs because he's just tripping off his mind. He's like, "Whoa, colors, oh man, yeah." Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then he, uh, he's actually sort of screaming and screaming and a little bit. So yeah, I can pretty much imagine that's that was maybe based on like uh, one of Frank Henelot's trips, acid trips or something. I don't know. Usually yeah. bad, yeah. Possibly. Um, that would make sense. Another little note, you know, yeah. when when he gets the, the the blue liquid in his in the brain, and you see oh. like the little sh the tip of the needle dropping the the drops, and there is you start seeing some like uh, electric um you know like sparks yeah yeah, yeah. Brain. well if you pause on those in in the right moment there are messages oh, written yeah. in into the the little lightning bolts no way uh, i don't really? know what it was the little mes messages yeah wow yeah, okay i gotta rewatch that movie now they actually spelled things in there. If you watch, you know, if you get the right version of the Blu-ray, you can find all of those. They, they will tell you where to look. They're like Easter eggs. Okay, so anybody yeah, watching watch wants to spend some time on that, you know, it's uh, it could be interesting. That's crazy. I I, I watched it on. Um, I, I I have to get it on Blu-ray. I haven't. I didn't watch it on Blu-ray. I literally. Uh, I went to. YouTube and just found it to stream for right. free on there, but it was it's also really, on Tubi, I believe. Yeah, it was really, it was just a really yeah. clunky. It was a really clunky version. Like it was a bit. The, the sound dropped out in a few places. Oh no! Yeah, only, <laughs> Damn, only Yeah, I dropped out in the bit where they're discussing where he's with Elmer and they're in that really shitty hotel and, and when oh, he, when he's trying to get sober. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And he's sitting there and he basically's like, "What's going on?" You know, I keep finding blood in my pants and blood in my like, you know, shirt and whatever. And he basically tells him that he's killing people, and that, and when they're having that conversation, the sound cut out. I was like, nah. "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, 
Um, I love that first kill. So the, the, fir the first kill is the policeman, isn't it? In the junkyard. Yeah. The policeman's chasing him down and then Alma just kind of jumps out and jumps onto his head. And I was like, this is a really cool kill. It's a lot of blood. He's got a wiggling little towel kind of out of his forehead. <laughs> Um, but let's be honest, the best skill is the second. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> My fucking notes just go on and on. I'll try and keep it quick. Sorry, guys. Sorry, there's uh, a lot that happens in this movie, so I understand. I like the touch where he kind of runs back as well. He's back at back at home, and then now he's got all these like locks on the door, locks on his door. It's like every teenage boy is, you know, like, <laughs> oh, Mom, you can't catch me wanking. Oh, fucking <laughs> 20 million locks on his door. Um, so then we cut to the scene where you see Brian and Barbara and they're going out for dinner. And um, and he's actually got spaghetti bolognese, so I knew I was right not to carry on eating my one. And um, and then he, as he keeps looking down at it and he keeps seeing like one of the meatballs turn into a brain. Do you remember that? <laughs> like a pulsing brain. And, then it, and, it, and every time he looks at it, there's like another brain and another brain. I was like, yeah, man, I'm never looking at well. I'm never looking at spaghetti in the same way. And you're saying you're eating spaghetti at the beginning of this too. So That's what I'm oh. saying you sat down to eat spaghetti and then all of a sudden it's like worst dish for this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Reminds me of like um, the first time I watched Night of the Living Dead. I was having a turkey leg and I was watching them eat all the body parts outside. Oh, ah. that was awful. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> cheers for that, zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Put me off my dinner. Right, yeah, so the next scene. So the, so this next scene was my the best scene for me. Um, I thought this scene was wicked. So, um, like, Brian hears some music, and he kind of sees this neon light that says hell, and he kind of makes his way into this club, and he's, he, again, he's sort of tripping out, and he's got his ears up to the speakers, and I'm like, dude, that's going to give you some major tinnitus, man. Okay. I know. Step back, step back from the speaker. He's literally just got his ear, like, plugged right up, right next to it, you know. Um, and then he pulls his chick at the bar and they're kind of dancing and he looks like he's sort of coming up on pills. And that, that, I was thinking the band, I thought the band were really cool. I was trying to figure out if I knew who they were, but I, I Googled it and it's a band called the, the Swimming Pool Cues. Has ever, anyone heard of those? Mm -mm. No, I've never heard of them. They, they, they're pretty cool anyway. I wonder if they're like a kind of cool 80s, you know, goth kind of band. But anyway, yeah, so then he takes the chick out the back door and uh, and she's kind of having a little reach around and she drops the classic line you know it feels like you've got a real monster in there <laughs> like really. yeah, yeah you yeah, I do <laughs> yeah I do yeah I do and then and then she goes to give him head and she just gets a freaking full-on mouthful of Alma <laughs> and the only thing that gets sucked is her brain obviously he just yeah gets up on in there and <laughs> you know he's just rinsing out that brain and then, it, and then we cut to he wakes up and he's got uh, bloody stains on his pants. Oh, I think after on, he just goes to throw away his pants, right? And then he meets yes, the old dude. He goes to the dumpster uh, by, on his building and that's when, when he first meets the old man. And the old oh, man tells him... The neighbor, yeah. That's he's all he, fucked up looking. Do you know what? He's, he's a, he was such a good actor as well, man. Uh, I thought he was a really good actor, that guy. Yeah. He delivers some great speech where he says that Alma... The old English word meaning all-inspiring, famous one, a creature of endless history, a living relic of civilization, long since forgotten. I was like, he's like a proper old English thespian actor, like, or American yeah. actor. Or was he English or American? I can't think. Anyway, he was great. He was really good. The yeah. old but I was like, a lot of good cool. um, performances in this movie. Yeah, there is, man. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the old guy from the beginning. I was like, okay, right. So he didn't die. Is that when Brian goes to get sober? When they go to the hotel, I think, right? Yeah, After so that? that's he. So then, yeah, so then he checks into the, the Sunshine Hotel. 
he's like, I've got to get out of here. You know, we need to get away. And he checks into this Sunshine Hotel, and I'm like, that's, it's like a real shithole. It's like a real kind of, you know, drug. If I'm not mistaken, the hotel is the same hotel where the guy from Basket Case checks in. Oh yeah, he sees him on the train. Yes, that's right. Yeah. They, they yeah. do have a little cameo there. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He comes and sits on the train opposite him with the basket, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, doesn't it? And I don't think it... Is it the same actor? It is, yes. It is. It, it is? is. Yeah, okay. I, check, I checked it out, the credits at the end. Yeah, Ke Kevin... I, I can't remember. I don't know how you pronounce his surname. He is the same actor. He's the same basket. And I think that is very clever. The fact that when they look at each other, they, they clearly, like, it's evidently, they both freaked out by each other. Yeah. For some reason, even though they're not supposed to know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're both he, like, uh... he looks at him, doesn't he, with the basket, and he's looking at him, and he kind of just kind of <laughs> yeah. shuffles yeah, off, and he's funny. like, he's like, ah, it's, it's almost as if like uh, it's um, you know the lottery is telling us, you know, they know that he's hiding something, and he, I mean, each other knows, you know, each other's secret for some yeah. because obviously, you know, their family, some, you know, their Henelotta's family. It's, it's, he's kind of like a, it's um universe, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. his own universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really good little touch. It's a, it's a very clever touch. I think it's brilliant, actually. I love when movies do that, to be honest. Yeah. When they like yeah. take nods to other movies. I love that. I mean, you can, you can tell they do it for the fans because the people who's going to love it is the people who love the genre. It's the people who kind of like, you know, they, and nobody's not going to love that. Let's be honest about that. It's kind of like, it's, it's, yeah. we, we all watch these movies because of yeah. these things. Yeah, yeah, sure, man. So then, so he, um, he starts having withdrawal, like huge drug references, you know, he starts having withdrawal, like he's cold turkey from this blue juice. Uh, and he really starts losing his mind, and then you just see all this like blood flying out of his ear. Do you remember that scene? Oh yeah, that scene is great. Oh, He's man. literally losing his mind. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And then he starts convulsing, and I was like, okay, so the the intro scene kind of makes a bit of sense now with the old couple on the floor where they're convulsing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, right, so that's obviously yeah. that that was them kind of having their withdrawals from because yeah. Alma's gone missing, kind of thing. Yeah. And then he starts singing. That was like. It kind of reminded me of like a really trippy, like little shop of horrors. You know how he's like, feed me Seymour. <laughs> he's like making him feed a bit, but this is just like a really weird tr alien trippy version of that. I don't know. Funny, funny, funny shit. Well, when I want to ask, when yeah. he's in the hotel and he's trying to get sober, do you guys want him to be able to be sober or do you want him to go back to Elmer? Because me, I want Brian to know departed from him and like live his live yeah. his life because he just he fucked everything up yeah like I do. really bad i do so I'm, I'm curious what you guys think what do you want him yeah. to still be with him or do you want him to be his own person do you want to go first Dean? oh yeah well I, I agree with you dustin i i kind of at that point think dude you've got to ditch this little alien you've got to like he's, he's bad news like he's just like that devil on your shoulder like you know mm. like have some of this have some of this have some of this He's like that, you know, drug addict friend that's just like, hey, go and have something, have something, have something. He's like, fuck off, man. Yeah, I know, right? And it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, the feeling that I got from watching that was that I wanted him to just give him back to the old couple, just get rid of him. And you could see he's really, a bit like that scene in Train Spotting where he's really struggling and he's really kind of freaking out, tripping out. Yeah, that's, a, him, yeah, that's want, good. Just wanting to kind of get over that and then move on. But, um, but yeah, didn't happen. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. Well, 
I think, I mean, that, that, I think that's a great question. Dustin, I, I think is a really, really interesting, uh, it, it gives you perspective also on who you're talking to. Um, I think that first of all, you know, it's very, very compelling how on a movie that is kind of like, uh, I don't know if I should call it B movie or even lower than B movie. You I'll probably stick in the B movie. Hmm. Was that you? You would. I would put it in a B movie slot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd say so. It's some pretty. Uh, but no, normally they kind of like they're. Let's call it an exploitation movie. Um, okay. You don't normally end up caring for characters. It's kind of like you're watching the movie because of the what happens. You don't really end up caring for the characters. But I think that you know they did a great job in that sense, making you care for him. And the only problem with that scene is that he never even hints about the idea of giving up Elmer. It just says, yeah, we'll true. continue on my terms. We, I'm, I'm going to get clear in my head and then we're going to do things my way. I'm not going to let you That's take true. over. I think yeah. that because he speaks with the old man, he kind of like wants to get where the, the old couple go, mm -hmm. where they kind of like give him that animal brain and they just keep getting their high without, you know, having to kill people. So it's never really wanting to get completely clean he just wants to take over control basically yeah yeah that's, so a, it, that's a good way to put it doesn't make you feel like he's gonna just give it up and and get completely clean so it's in in a sense you can't really root for that to happen okay yeah okay all right yeah. i like that answer yeah. i never considered it in that way just because of the way he just puts it down it just stays clear right for right from the beginning he says like that's that's what he wants yeah wow Okay, I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, that's that's <laughs> kind of like. So at least that's what I what I feel. But I, I do care. I, I do wish that he would just say, you know what, this is not for me. Yeah. Okay. So go back to the couple. Go ahead. So, so yeah, right. So then, so then, so now, then we're at the bit where um, we see uh, Mike, uh, Brian's brother, Snake. It finally gets his way with Barbara, and I think Brian's mm -hmm. dodged the Brian kind of dodged a bit of a bullet there because I think she's got the fucking personality of an ironing board. So, you know, <laughs> take her much to get. They really take her much to get a kit off. She's just like, oh, I'm really worried about Brian, and he's like, well, you know, just come and get into my bed. And she's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. And later on, she's kind of showing concern. I'm thinking, you can't be concerned, you hussy. You just been slept with his brother like five minutes ago. Yeah, I know. And then he kills her. I'm like, good. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's another scene. I was like, I kind of didn't want her to die, but she deserves it. Oh, yeah, she yeah. deserves, deserves it. it now. It's a bit where he plugs uh, Brian off just shortly after that bit, where there's the, his brother and, and Barbara in a bed, and he kind of put plugs Alma back into the back of his head, and they kind of had this. He has his vision now, this like kind of weird DMT fueled three way visions. You know, it's yeah, really bizarre. Then, I, she, then she, I was going to say, then she plugged that. That's when she follows him to the subway and she's really yeah. concerned. And I'm just like, oh, you know, you've just been sleeping with his like, brother. And he just <laughs> tells her, do not follow me. Don't come near me. Leave me alone. You will die. Yeah. And she's yeah, like, oh, yeah. okay. I'm going to follow you anyway. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And, that, and that's where we see um, the character from Basket Case get on. That's, and that, that's right. Like, oh, yeah. That's I, right. I, I just wanted to step back for a second because this is from the previous scene. Uh, I first watched this movie on... VHS when I was about 16. I had a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend at the time and I had and I have two brothers. So yeah. 
of the whole of this whole thing. By the time I was 16, oh, yeah. I had watched so much horror that this wasn't really horrifying me. That from this whole movie, the thing that really left a mark with me was the girlfriend sleeping with the brother because it yeah. gave me the. I can see that. that yeah. 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 My yeah. Exactly. And that really freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't and blame then, you, man. Yeah, I would be in the same boat. I was kind of wishing for her to die at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, about it as well. She didn't give a shit. She's just like, yeah. Deserve okay. it. You're not listening you know, to me. You, and you're you fucking my brother. Love of your life. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, uh, that's what I was. Sorry yeah. for that. Yeah, sorry. Let's get back to this. Oh, that's somewhere. great. I love that. That's what great. A, what a bitch. What yeah, a yeah bitch. I, I thought I'd share that because it, it really freaked me out. It really. Oh, yeah. Well, really she's just. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm putting myself in your shoes, and I'm I'm feeling the exact same same thing right now. She's just so evident. Yeah, to be watching it yeah. as an adult, many years later, it didn't affect me at all. That that part was more like, yeah, okay, yeah, but probably because I already got gone through the trauma of watching it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and you realized that she had the personality of an iron board. She's like, oh my god, <laughs> I love that. So boring. Yeah. Oh, Brian, you can do better. Um, she killed so, her off earlier, to be honest. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Uh, and so then, so then we see the old couple again, and then they bust in, and they hold Brian at gunpoint, and then and then just quickly skip through it. Alma jumps into the the old woman, and he kind of sees his tail wiggling out of her head, kills her, um, and then he jumps into. I love the I love the old when he jumps into the old man's head. That bit's really cool. The makeup on his face, I think that's really cool. And then what does he do? He just kind of squeezes him to death. You know, like he just. Literally, but the old man is not actually dead. He's not dead, is he? No, he kind of squeezes. When, the, when he goes to get his next fix from from Elmer, the old man just squeezes him and yeah, pushes all the juice straight into his brain and yeah, yeah. And then and then the end scene where the police kind of bust in and you see uh, Brian, his head's exploded. And, oh, that's great. Uh, and the lightning, like the light coming out of his head. I was like, oh, oh my really? god, man, this movie, seriously. <laughs> um, I, I feel for him, man. Brilliant. It, and it was, I, do you know what? I just, I didn't know how I felt about it at all, to be honest. I wasn't sure. I was like, do I like it? I mean, I really appreciate what it was. Like, it's a really good artistic bit of filmmaking. It's crazy. And it's kind of like, you wouldn't want to take LSD and watch that film. It would send you over the edge. It's crazy. Oh my God. Hell no, man. It's, it's literally like the whole idea of it. Like, even just the, 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 the scenes with the brain and the blue girl and the brain, even that just makes, makes me think, wow. It's like, you know, the tip in the void of insanity stuff like that you know it's crazy 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 filmmaking did really i I preferred it the second time i watched it obviously because i kind of knew you know like watching it again from the beginning and seeing the old couple at the beginning i was i knew what was going on rather than watching it thinking for like literally like a good 50 percent into the movie thinking what the f is going on with this film but you know do you know what i mean watching it to the end jumping back watching it again it made a lot more sense if that's possible with this film, but no, it, it was great, man. Good, good, good piece of art, good artistic film. Um, crazy, batshit, man. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Very unique. I think one to watch with friends. Like if you have some friends over and you have a few beers, you just want to chuck on, like bring it to a watch party and just say, guys, have you? Ever yeah. Seen if you want to surprise people, definitely want to yeah. watch a real fucked up movie. Yeah. One that's going to make yes. you think a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely, man. So, Marco, when you ask me again if I've ever seen Brain Damage, I can say yes. Yes, yes, I've watched it. Proud of you, Dean. I'm going to tick that off the list. Brain damage, done. So, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on, Marco, Dustin. Thanks, guys. Of thanks course, for man. Anytime. Thanks, thanks for taking the time out to watch the films. Thanks for taking the time to come on here and give your opinions. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, and and we'll pick some more. I think we've already got some ideas for for, for the next one, Marco. We were chatting about the other day, so yeah, we'll, we'll awesome. I, I can't we'll, wait. We'll dish those out, and then we'll jump back on, and then we'll we'll, we'll tear them apart. Um, yeah, cool guys. Uh, oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen that. I now say you have seen it. Tick them yes, I have. Tick them have films say... off the list, guys. Tick them films off the list. Oh my god, I can't believe you never seen that. We are Jump Scare Media. Jumpscare Media is a new media production company working within the entertainment industry. We specialise in videography, photography and social media management. Check out our most recent work on our socials, follow Jumpscare Media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Or email now to discuss how we can help with your latest project. Email jumpscaremedia at outlook.com. Welcome back to the Dean of the Dead podcast. This week's guest is one of the stars of a cult classic 80s shocker directed by Brian Usner. It is a brilliantly satirical slice of subversive body horror, widely regarded as one of the most influential films of its era. A paranoid sleazy nightmare of class commentary, dark, twisted and horrifyingly amusing, the film is none other than society. Beverly Hills is known as a society of wealth and privilege. But Billy Whitney doesn't seem to be getting his share. He thinks everyone is out to get him, even his friends. He never were one of us. He thinks that he doesn't belong. Now they don't even look like me. Why, why are you guys doing this to me, huh? He believes he's seeing things. Bad things beyond reality. Is it just his imagination? I'm not paranoid. All my fears are real. Or has Billy uncovered something terrible, something unspeakable? Don't go home, Billy. What, you've been living with these people all your life and you didn't know anything about this? If you don't follow the rules, Billy, bad things happen. You know you'll make such a great contribution to society. Who are you? And now, Billy. It's showtime, Billy! Is fighting for more than just his sanity. He's fighting for his life. The time is coming for Billy to take his place. In society, it's all about fitting in. One of the film's central characters, David Blanchard, played by Tim Bartell, clocks on early that something unusual is up with his ex-girlfriend Jenny Whitney, played by Patrice Jennings. After bugging Jenny's earring and capturing a sound recording of her and her family in some sort of weird orgy, he is found out by the judge and by Jenny's father. After going missing in a staged traffic accident, Blanchard finally reappears in the final 10 minutes of the film and is offered up to the society, becoming the first in the movie to feel the wrath of the shunt carried out by the masters of the hunt. Would you please give it up for David Blanchard himself, Mr. Tim Bartell. Tim, welcome to the Dean of the Dead podcast, my friend. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Dean. Thank you for having me here. 
Uh, you are super, super welcome. Tim, so let's let's jump into the question. So firstly, going back, how did you get into acting all those years ago? And and what was it that sort of drew you, drew you towards that profession? Why did you want to get into acting? I, I, I like to perform. I was in high school. I was doing plays and kind of stand-up comedy, kind of hosting events uh, like uh, Homecoming and things like that. And so I had been my plan for a while when I was 18 that I would move out to uh, move out to. I, I grew up in a little town in the Midwest, and I would head out to LA when I was 18. So uh, uh, I got into acting, and and you know, acted pretty much throughout the 80s into like the early 90s, and. There's only two roles this day that, that, that people, you know, uh, that I made any sort of uh, lasting impression. One was one was society and one was meatballs too, playing a kid with braces who kisses a girl and our braces get locked. They get locked together, that, right? That, that, was, that was horrifying to people as well because they were afraid after that their braces would lock in real life. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 no matter what performance I do, I'm horrifying people. It's, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that Meatballs 2 wasn't connected either in any way to the first one, was it? I don't think. I think was... No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was called Summertime when we were shooting it. And then uh, I think somebody right behind the film or behind uh, TriStar who picked it up must have said, hey, it's set in a summer camp. There's no Bill Murray. But yeah. they won't find that out till they get to the theater. So, <laughs> you know. <what> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so you were 24, I think, when you took on the role of Blanchard in society. <clears throat> so how did how did the role come about, and and what did you think when you first read the script, and then you came across the infamous shunting scene? Was you like, oh, yeah. was it like, oh man, this is time to back out, or was you like, oh, I really need this job. I'm just going to have to go through. This. Yeah, well, well, in, in, the, in the full progression, I mean, I didn't know at first. So you know, you go out when you're an actor, you go out, you get, you know, at least. Back in my day, you get sides. You just get the few scenes you're going to read for and so like that. So I knew it was about uh, Beverly Hills High School, and I knew uh, there was I, a guy who was a PA on film production system was uh, was passing by me at one point. We become friends eventually, but at this point, I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to one of the other actors on the audition. I'm like, so I guess this David Blanchard does some. There's some sort of sacrifice involved with him. Yeah. And my future friend Andrew passed and just kind of stifled the laugh and they just kept on going. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. I thought sacrifice meant like, like I'm going to come into the ending and sacrifice my life and, and save everyone or something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. no, they mean sacrifice like in an Aztec altar kind of way. That's more what the sacrifice of society is. So, it's like a bubblegum orgy is the only way I can kind of yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and you're absolutely right. I read this. I read the script. I finally get the part, and I get the full script. And I really needed the work. I needed the money and stuff. And yet, I drove to my agent and set the script down and said, "You know, there's a lot of people that I don't actually know that are licking and 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 and, sell, and uh, shunting me. I, I don't know how comfortable I am with that." So he he he, he assured me. But I, I got to say, it was it was. Uh, I went in a little more nervous than when I actually just went to read for the part. I was like, this is going to be messy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how long was you kind of covered in the goo and the and the costume? Like, was it was it really hot in there? Was you have to sit in there for days? So first, it's like just it's really my body that they're that they're they're the the you know the prosthetic uh, tentacle sort of things that they suck you. You know, that's yeah. the whole thing. The, 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 the wow. rich suck off the poor, feed off the poor, or in this case, an outsider. I was David Blanchard was Jewish, so yeah. he by yeah. being Jewish, he's an outsider in society. You know, you yeah. have these are all the powerful, well-bred groups of the world. So, yes. 
So at first it was just they were attached to me, and then eventually they they brought in the prosthetic, and I was like inside of a hollowed out couch with a, you know this is all pre more CG sort of technology, and the prosthetic was attached to my neck. But uh, but it was it was yeah it was a trip. I mean I. You, you tell yourself, oh, I'm just acting. These are just very nice people that are pretending to scream at me and holler at me and stuff like that. But you're covered in goo and 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 they're <laughs> wow. screaming and stuff like that. And I got really overwhelmed at one point. I, I I played it off like it was just my legs were getting sore from being in the couch, which which was true. But I was like really getting freaked out. It was a it was a, it was I a bet. Even even knowing you're in a movie, you know. I, I bet just to watch it is it freaks me out enough. I love it, but to watch it, so to, I guess to actually be there and be in it and be in that in those surroundings, it must be like, what is going on? And I did, I think I read somewhere that uh, Brian Usner even said to you like, tone tone it down a bit because you were acting so harrowing. It was kind of freaking everyone out. He did. I don't. He may have. He may have. Said, I know. I know. Eventually, he had to tone it down in editing. Maybe he mm. said that to me, and I just don't remember. I mean, I was. Yeah, I was screaming and crying and begging. And Brian told me later, he gave me one of the greatest compliments in my acting career. He said we had to pull it back in editing because it was disturbing people. And I was like, yes, <laughs> disturbing people. I think it was brilliantly played because you you, you make it really believable. Your your expressions and the way, the way you you scream and cry makes it look like uh, it's actually happening to you. Yeah, I, I, I decided to really go for it. I, there was a movie out around that time, uh, Gorillas in the Mist. And uh, um, and I, I remember, I don't remember what scene was it, because it's been a long time since I've seen the film. But I was watching that scene and going, that's when I when I die, because it was, uh, it was we hadn't yet got to shooting the shunting scene when I watched that movie. It was like, when I die, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to scream and I'm going to beg and I'm just going <laughs> to... I didn't know it would disturb people, but I, I really wanted to make it, you know, I was trying to think terrible thoughts and keep them in my head. And then the, the funny part was there was a, a guy there who... Um, was one of the production assistants again, and he thought it was hysterical because I really like, I do like horror films very much, but I also like art house films like Fellini and Bergman and stuff like that. And he thought it was hysterical this guy who's like likes Fellini and Bergman is covered in goo and laying on a couch and getting getting sacrificed. So I'd scream and cry, and then there'd be a cut, and he'd kind of lean in while I'm, you know, laying there, and he'd whisper in my ear and said, "Bergman just called. He wants to work with you." <laughs> and then go back to screaming and crying sore and stuff like that. And they lean in again and go, Fellini called. He's very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> little society anecdote. I just wanted to begin by telling you how much meaning this movie has for, for me. Um, it was 1990 and I was only 15 at the time. Um, being uh, someone who was passionate about horror since like my very very early youth as a, as a child i was probably the only one who was buying this thing it was like a magazine this is actually dated 1990 uh, and it was coming out in italy uh, i'm from a small town in sicily and it had this big beautiful society um oh wow you know, that's classic color. yeah so I, I knew about this movie and uh, when it finally came to a cinema near me, being that I was only 15, I couldn't find anybody to take me, even though I wasn't even allowed to watch the movie. Here in Sicily, in small town, they just let you in. And my cousin, who was in her 20s, decided to drive me to watch this movie. And we were the only people in the theater. It was only me and my cousin. And 
towards like uh, you know 40 minutes into the movie she was cursing at me and she was like she was telling me what on earth did you take me to watch and, and towards the end she was like she was she thought she she was losing her mind and uh you know i was so blown away by the movie it stayed with me forever and especially your character being that you know the whole real thing starts when you get brought in it's kind of like it's, it has so much meaning to me and it's so great to you know get to meet you even though it's you know at a distance yeah. i'm really really happy so this is this is my little anecdote about um, society it's just always stayed with me ever since i was 15. that, that that's 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 impressive that, that, that it had that kind of uh influence on you at that stage of life i guess since we we are in, in the topic of you know the shunting and, uh, and all that I, I was wondering how was it to work with the with screaming mad george i mean the guy is first and foremost an artist i would say you know it's he's a sculptor before he's an actual you know special makeup effects guy and uh so i was wondering uh, how was the whole uh, process of getting there like for instance uh, i read some some place that when uh robotin was creating the effects for the thing before these were uh, you know brought to set and, uh, and utilized with all the goo and the blood and whatnot some of the actors that were walk, walking into his workshop to get casts and all and you know all sorts of like uh, preparation stuff they were looking at these things and they were looking like uh, real like sculptures and work of art was it kind of the same you know working in, uh, in this context how was your experience uh it, it was interesting i mean i um i never been through anything like that like the making of prosthetics or anything like that um um i i didn't work as close I, I screaming around george was the was the, the visionary behind the specs i agree and i'm I, I even at that age i was already liking the work of salvador dolly and i know dolly had a big influence on the kind of shunting yeah, yeah. it's a great masturbator that, that, that screaming around george created but but i actually and, and so i saw you know I, I i i was with him on the set sometimes and stuff like that but uh, you know be, uh, so he's like at the top of the special effects pyramid. And then I was working with like Nick Benson, who actually created some of these physical effects and stuff. So, so I went in, uh, to, to have, you know, the body cast made the when the, when they do the shunting and it comes, the fist is coming up through my body and stuff like that. We had to make a body cast. Out. That wasn't so hard. The hardest part for me as a bit of a claustrophobic was to have the uh, um, head cast made because the head part, you know, my head gets, of course, torn apart. And so they just tell me, we're going to take this, I don't remember if it was plaster, what kind of stuff it was, I don't remember the technical term, but you know, some sort of plaster, we're going to put this all over everything on your head. You're not going to see or hear that. We're going to put little straws in your nose so that you can breathe so you don't die while we're doing this. So, so they're like, so they're here, and it's like, I just have to keep on giving a thumbs up. Can you hear us here? And they're, they're putting it all over. And I'm just, I'm just hoping if you're an Edgar Allan Poe fan, I was just hoping nobody was going to say, Tim, we might let you live if you say, for the love of God, monstrosa. So no, nobody said that. So it was fine. But it was it was for a minute there. You're just sort of like, oh, boy, I hope these people like me because I don't want to be encased to die in a in a in a plaster tomb, you know. So that was just a minute you say, right? That was what? How long did it last? You know. Oh you, you yeah, it was just a it just a couple. Of, I mean, it was it was not that long. I mean, just long enough for I think they had to let it slightly set, and then they could take you peel it off me and stuff. So yeah. yeah. 
the um the scene with the that the beauty spot that the judge steals from you after the shanty so i'm looking at you now and i was gonna, i was actually going to say do you actually have that like was that something that brian saw and was like oh we've got to use that we've got to write that in or was that already in the script and then they just kind of i, I think it was already in the script and then right. uh, they just they just you know continuity they just every day would put the beauty mark on me again yeah. and, and then moved it on to the put it on to the judge but what a uh, crazy uh, concept like just the whole thing it was, is it, it, was, it was a clever way to kind of you know like show that i've been assimilated that it wasn't just right, off, right. that i've been kind of pulled into him it's like you know and yeah. that's why that's why the judge makes that kind of special moment as i'm going to be finally put to put out of my misery by him he kind of goes oh beauty mark you know so we know when he, we see it on his face it's like ah oh, there's there's what's left of david blanchard you know yeah oh absolutely crazy i love it how long did it take how long did it take to shoot that whole scene so like the whole shunting scene so i've heard it was in a day but i heard it, i read it another interview i think someone said a couple of days i think it was um uh devin devazquez i was listening to a podcast with her the other day and she said it was a couple of days another one said a day but yeah how long how long did it take to it was it was at least one full day i remember just because i was the reason so vivid with me was i was screaming through the whole thing so right. it was like ah you know the, right. by the end of the day i'm like telling brian like i think about one more scream today that's gonna be about <laughs> it that's me so we, like screamed all day and then the next day we came back i we were gonna do we did a little more if i remember right but i told i mean they literally came onto the set and said i have no voice left nothing <laughs> so whatever we did i just mild scream after that i know it went into a second day i don't think we did a whole nother day on it but maybe a day and a quarter or a half or something like that it was it was it was one very uh, long intense day it was uh, whatever whatever money i earned in, uh, i got in society i actually earned <laughs> awesome awesome and i say talking to devin devin de vasquez i think she she was actually dating prince around the time that it was being shot did you ever kind of see a prince just kind of shuffle onto set with his own uh, no, i did i did i didn't see he was out on the set but I did see him a couple times. I worked at a nightclub that was very popular in LA at the time in the mm. early mid eighties called the palace. And he came in once he just came in and he was hanging out at the bar. Mm. And, um, do you remember from the, from, I think it's in his movie too. He had a bodyguard. Um, I don't know if he played a bodyguard in that, but, uh, um, Oh, I forget his name now, but he was this big dude and yeah. we'd have to like get by Prince and him chick chick. I think his name was chick. And we'd have to get by him at the bar and he just walked backwards and take out like about 10 people. And then we go, oh, okay, well, we can get out now. Thank you. So and he, wow. he performed once at the palace too for the after uh, after party for uh, Purple Rain. And he got yeah. and saved like three songs from Purple Rain. And it was great. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so gutted. I never, ever got to catch Prince. Never will, unfortunately. But, uh, but um, yeah, total legend. So, um I think you have to be pretty deeply into the horror genre to kind of know and fully appreciate the film society. And um, horror fans such as myself and Marco are known for being quite quite a kooky bunch. Um, so, like in the 32 years since the release of Society, have you had any weird fan moments? Have you had any like been at any conventions and had some strange requests or any weird fan mail or anything like that? Not, nothing really weird uh just 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 interesting like the progression like you know i, I mean if we do the part we shoot it in 1988 i think the film opens in japan in 89 uh and then marco you saw you said like 1990 but it didn't it didn't actually play in the united states until 1991 so That's right yeah three years uh, after the release in the uk wasn't right, it? right exactly so so for like a long time 
after after Hit Society was like, you know, just something I referenced with my friends and stuff like that. And then, you know, the age of the internet grows and stuff. And and someplace in the 2000s, I started getting people finding me online, especially once I got into Facebook, like I think around 2009. Yeah. People would start looking me up and stuff like that. It's never gotten, thankfully, uh, weird yet. Uh, but 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 it's just funny to like watch. And it actually seems to have grown in recent years. It seems like I'm getting more contacts and more people, you know, just finding the film or getting interested in it or, or finding that they can contact somebody from the film, you know. I was going to say, you know, I think this, this is the kind of like a, a, one of those very good uh, wines, you know, the longer they stay, you know, in, in the bottle, the better they become. With, I mean, society is a movie that's really like brewed to become something much bigger, you know, with time. And also, and, uh, you know, maybe correct me is that not, uh, if, if that's just in my mind. I kind of feel that is a lot more relevant nowadays than it was when he when he came out because of like this all you know, uh, idea of uh, the, the ruling, you class know, one percenters, you know, class. Do you think that Brian Usner was kind of like already foreseeing this or he was like already in, into like uh, trying to understand how the world works in that sense and, and then, you know, portrayed it in this like uh, outrageous way? But, you know, with with a deep meaning, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's interesting to, to ponder whether Brian and the writers, you know, obviously you've got to give them some credit for, for coming up with this whole, you know, this, this class conscious sort of concept. Uh, you know, my feeling at the time, I could be wrong, maybe they were looking ahead. I felt at the time they were commenting, we were right at the end of the Reagan era here in the U.S. And yeah. I think we're commenting kind of on the Reagan uh, early Bush era and stuff like that. I think I think at the moment anyway, maybe maybe they maybe they foresaw more than I knew, but that was like the feeling I got. And then, you know, the film, like I said, the film was always around. It was always kind of a, a cult thing that people followed and stuff like that. But you're right. You know, the times you get, uh, I mean, here in the States, you get the Occupy Wall Street movement and uh, Bernie Sanders becomes very popular. And, and, you know, then there's this counter reaction with Trump getting elected. And so the idea of, you know, this, this very stratified world, I think we're much more conscious of it now. And so, yeah, I do think it plays much more into today's world, even more than it did the late 80s, early 90s. You have that movie yeah. Parasite. Parasite is, um, or that's kind of <clears throat> touches on that the kind of class. Yeah, isn't it? The Par Parasite is a terrific film, and that was uh, that that that's yeah, that's 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 there. It's not even subtext. It's there right from the beginning of the film and stuff. Yeah. So it was like when it was released in '89 because it was it was um, released, and it, it was like rapturous applause in the UK and I think sit jazz like horror film festivals. But as you say, it wasn't um, <clears throat> actually released in the US till like three years after that. So I don't know, what do you think it was about the US that kind of didn't get it or didn't really sort of jump on it like the UK and perhaps... Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. To, I mean, I will say, at least in the US, uh, at that point, you know, you're really just in the very early days of that era of indie filmmaking. Uh, you know, smaller films get attention like Sex Lies and Videotape and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, you know, an early Spike Lee film, things like that. So I th I don't know if it had anything to do with like that it didn't resonate with the culture or whatever as well, or they didn't. I, I think it probably was just finding a distributor in the U.S. was willing to take a chance on what was 
you know, uh, $2 million now, I mean, I'm an indie filmmaker now. I'd love to have $2 million to shoot a film with, but $2 million then was like a really low budget. Yeah. And, and, and we had no, you know, big name. Billy Warlock was our biggest name. And that was before he had done uh, Baywatch. That oh, was still right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think the distributor just wasn't seeing, was thinking like, oh, this isn't going to make any money and stuff like that. And, you know, it had a very small release in the U.S. when it first came out. It wasn't until, you know, like I said, years later, it started taking on more of this cult status. So it was not a yeah. big deal when it first came out. Wasn't it shown in like three cinemas or so, or three states or something like that, wasn't it? Not yeah, so, I know. Three I was... I was, I was, you know, I, was, I lived in LA for like nine straight years, and I took a little break, and I moved back to Wisconsin, and that's when it came out uh, in the theater. So I didn't see it. For, I saw it at a cast and crew screening in 1989, yeah, but yeah. I didn't see it when it first came out in the theaters because it was playing like in LA and a, and a few other places, not yeah. in any place near where I was at the time. And then uh, I didn't see it again until the VHS came out. And if you remember VHS, VHS came out in 1992. So yeah, it was it was it was a delayed build. But you know, some places like again, I know the UK it hit very early, and Japan, I've also heard it, it hit very early. But the US was slower to take to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. If um, I can't believe they haven't done a society reboot yet. Everything seems to be getting rebooted today, and I can't believe that hasn't been a society. If they were to do a society reboot. Which I don't think they should. I think they should just leave it well alone because it's just a classic. It's a masterpiece right. as it is. Which I think about most reboots, to be fair. Um, but definitely, yeah. especially with society, it's such a classic piece of cult cinema. If they were to do a reboot, who could you see or who would you like to play the role of Blanchard? And who would you like to see behind the camera directing it? Who do you think would do a good job? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they, you know, if Brian would be recapturing his vision, if Brian didn't do it, if he was just like, say, producing or something. Um, uh, Ari Astro that did Midsummer. Oh, he's great, man. I love he's him. Brilliant. I mean, I mean, that's that's who I would immediately think of for the for the oh, visual, yeah. you know, sort of. And um, um, I love him. He's super uh, dark, he's super man. Dark. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of who would be a good uh, uh, I, I, David Blanchard to play me today. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard rumors about a reboot. And, right. and obviously, given the way David Blanchard ended, I didn't think there was much chance for me to get it. But I thought, well, there's ways they could do this. They could, they could say, you know, it's sci-fi. David Blanchard didn't actually die. Here's what happened. They could say uh, uh, they could make me into like a force ghost, you know, like like Star Wars, where I just appear as David Blanchard or somebody. Or they could, <laughs> they, could uh, they could just put me in a cameo, you know, like as a bartender or something like that, and put a little mole on me, and then oh yeah, go, oh that's that's David Blanchard, that's the original David Blanchard. So I figured there's one of those three scenarios. If I get into a meeting, yeah. so I'm going to pitch those ideas of a way to revive me as David Blanchard. But but oh. if they have a young David Blanchard, uh, I don't know somebody. Somebody wonderful. I, I don't. I don't know who that would be, but somebody wonderful to play. You that. could be one of the shunters, perhaps. Maybe you could be a shunter. That would be a great irony, right? That would be yeah. yeah a <laughs> reversal. I was the shunter. Now I am the shunty. Shunty. No, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. I'd love to see that. I was kind of like uh, uh, watching, uh, talking about the feature that I talked to you about. Uh, you know, the masters of the hunt. You at one point mentioned that you wanted to move on to directing. So I was wondering what you mentioned before that you're a filmmaker. So I, I'm sorry, but I, I missed that part. So I was kind of like curious of how that kind of like how that came about and you know, how what are your projects at the moment? It would be interesting to find out from your voice. Sure, sure. Uh, well, 
I mean, I was already dabbling in writing even back in the days of society and stuff. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, at a certain point, I kind of, uh, when I say outgrow, I mean, like, there's a, I probably have similar things in the UK or Italy where if you're 18 or over, you usually get cast to play under 18 because if they have a real person who's under 18, they can only work a certain number of hours and they can only, you know, uh, uh, they need teachers on the set and stuff like that. So I played that all the way into like my mid 20s. And then I just acting started drifting away from me a little bit. And I love to write. And, uh, and I always wanted to direct films. I knew that even then I wanted to. So I eventually got into writing and that eventually led to indie filmmaking. So I've done a, 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 a cult web series called Fun With War Crimes. It was a parody of the Bush administration. Um, I have a film oh, wow. that I know is available in the UK on uh, Amazon, UK, uh, UK Amazon Prime or, and, um, um, or Amazon, UK Amazon. And uh, I don't know, do you guys get the Tubi? In in the yeah. UK, I don't think we get. Do I get? I don't think I get that. I haven't got it. Well, anyway, it's it's a free stream. There's other platforms, YouTube and stuff, where where the yeah. films. It's called Dirty Beautiful, and it's a film I wrote and directed, and, and uh, um, uh, it's uh, it's a comedy drama romance. So it's not a horror film, but it is it is for a comedy drama romance. It's disturbing. So that's Ooh. that's the best place I can give it. We should check that out. Amazing. On the back of that question, do you feel that um, having worked with Brian Usner has influenced you in some way, shape, or form? Did you uh, take, from, you know, in your nowadays directing from his style, maybe something that he used to do on set, something that you know you kind of like? Uh, did he affect you in some way? I think that the, the thing I probably most got from Brian is you got to just keep pushing through it. That was my first experience mm -hmm. with like a bigger part in a film as opposed to like one day and the way he just kind of kept on motoring through like and 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 did anything to get what he needed to get like like there's one point where we're shooting the shunting and there's no sound rolling but he's like scream tim it motivates the extras <laughs> and so i did and it did and i thought that's what you know it's really that's what a director does they just find a way to get the most out of the scene and stuff like that so that was yeah that was a good early uh good early uh, uh, watch for me to see how you directed. Yeah. Screaming so much, you'd completely run out of voice by the end of it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was that was my sacrifice. See, I told you there was a sacrifice. That was my sacrifice with my vocal cords. Man, I'm a singer in a band. I was for many, many years. So I'm not, I feel, I know how that feels. It's horrible <laughs> when you can't talk. The question that I was also curious about, like uh, if you could go back in time and you were presented again, like, uh, forget about the fact that you needed the work and you needed the money, but if you, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and you got offered that script again, would you change something? Would you, I don't know, even maybe play the part in a different way with the experience that you've got nowadays? You know, would you change something about society? You know, what you did in society or even just not take it at all? Uh, I would, I would, knowing what I know now, I would take it, I would do it because, um, uh, besides, you know, making a little extra money at the time and stuff like that, uh, um, like I said, it's one of the few, it's, you know, whatever art you do is kind of a diary of wherever you are at that point in your life. And like I said, there's not much of the other, a lot of parts that I did from that time that are, you know, round or circulating. So it's like, for me, it's like a little photo album of my youth in certain ways. And this is what I looked mm -hmm. like, and this was, the, you know, intense experience that I had and stuff like that. So 
And especially as you get a little bit older, you get more nostalgic for the past. So I, I for that reason alone, I would I would do it. I might I might still have some reservations about the shunting, but but it's kind of like a war story. Once you get through it, it's like, yeah, I got shunted. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is a good actor, sure. Three Oscars, but it was he ever shunted, you know? So <laughs> yeah. you got some stories for the grandkids if you ever exactly. have I mean, I don't, like, I don't... more stories to tell the kids. Yeah. And then the yeah. only thing I would probably change would be myself and my acting. Like I think I died really well. I think that's my my biggest calling card society. There are points earlier in the film where I'm kind of like I the last time I watched the movie was uh, a, a screen at the American Cinematheque here in Hollywood in uh, 2019, and I was like, "Boy, I'm definitely doing an 80s style acting." You know, it's 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 a little big. It's a little like acting. You know, it's a little it's a little big. I mean, it's a big it's a broad film, so it's fine. It works, but like I would probably find a little little more subtlety if I were to do it now as a, as an actor. Okay, so uh, Tim, so off topic of society this is a little something we're trying out so we, we'll see if it works so but each, so each week we want to ask our guest to put forward a question for the guest on our next show uh okay. and so, so next week we're talking to uh bob elmore who played leatherface in the texas chainsaw massacre 2. so so tim if you ever met leatherface or if you had a question for leatherface what would it be if you bumped into leatherface in a bar what would you say what would your question to him be uh i guess if it was the actor i would say uh how much extra stunt pay do you get for all the blood flying up uh, from the chainsaw and stuff like that is that like an extra bump you see this is where an actor's mind immediately goes do you right. get any extra money when he gets splattered with blood over and over again that would he was actually he's actually, he's actually, actually a stuntman he was a stuntman actually yeah all right yeah so when you get the stunt blood work i mean is that extra do you give it like what i i did a uh a film where i was an extra this is years before society but we had to uh, we were shot from behind and we were all wearing little little g-strings you couldn't see but it was shots of all of our butts a bunch of guys who've been pranked and they're all standing with their pants down and stuff like that and i'm like i got 70 extra bucks for that so like for right. me it, 19 years old that was a big deal so i'm just curious for a leatherhead actor you know uh, <laughs> if he gets what, extra what's, yeah. what's the pay rate for getting soaked in blood like 50 times you know yeah 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 for sure and i guess if you had a question for leatherface it'd be why why did you have to kill all those people man why the, what did it ever do to you that would, that would seem the first thing that would come to mind <laughs> some reason i accept that as part of the carnage of life i, I guess i just <laughs> definitely man tim you've been an absolute diamond man thank you so much for doing this um and before we wrap it up um what can we expect from upcoming projects from you in the future like can you confirm if there's anything on the horizon anything you're working on at the minute um you know again i i, I haven't been an actor in a long time so nothing like that but but writing and directing i've got uh one project with a, a couple name actors attached that we're working on trying to get uh, into production and working on a new script i'm uh, you know that's where i'm at at this point in life a writer director did i hear something about kirsty alley Yes, yes. There's a, so that's the the project called the Family Affair, and Kirstie Alley and Jonathan Silverman are attached. It's uh, it's about wow. uh, a guy who the midlife crisis who signs, signs himself falling for his mother-in-law, and uh, uh, we're working on getting that film going. And I've got other projects in development. So yeah, lots of always busy, even in even in the what remains of quarantine. Awesome stuff, brilliant. Okay, cool. Tim, thank you so much for coming on to the Dean of the Dead podcast. We wish you all the luck for all of your creative endeavors in the future. And uh, we'll let you know what Leatherface is 
responses to your question, I guess. Yes, please. Get, yeah. have, let the face get back to me. I want to know about that. And Dean Margo, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. Scare Track. Scare Track. Scare Track Podcast. Let's get scared. ScareTrack is the UK's first podcast showcasing the scare attraction and haunted house industry. Our podcast offers on-location review episodes, interview episodes, and much more. Whilst our video content on YouTube has Scarecam vlogs, mini-movie reviews, behind-the-screens episodes, and even more spooky content. For all things ScareTrack, visit our website, www.scaretrack.co.uk. That's scaretrack.co.uk. Thrill seekers, listen up. If you love everything horror themed, then check out scaredirectory.co.uk. We have everything listed from scare mazes, screen parks, overnight experiences, immersive theatre, zombie events, and scary escape rooms. Simply type in your postcode to find the greatest events near you and across the whole of the UK. You'll find all the latest info and reviews on the UK's scariest attractions. And you can also leave your own reviews. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Scare Directory. Introducing SC Creative Media. We are a media production company that works with attractions in both the scare and attractions industries. We offer both photography and videography services. Check out our previous work by heading to our website www.sccreativemedia.com or by searching for SC Creative Media on Twitter, Insta and Facebook for inquiries about how we can work together on your next marketing project. Email us to info at sccreativemedia.com or directly message us on social media. Scary Thought of the Day Have you ever felt the sensation of being touched, but when you look, there's no one there? That's the spindly-fingered horror. When you take a shower, you may wonder, was that a drop of water you felt touch you then? Or was it the spindly-fingered horror? Oh, there's no escape from the spindly-fingered horror. It can also invade your dreams, suddenly rushing in to tickle you until it hurts with its bony, spindly fingers. Have you dreamt about the spindly-fingered horror? You will. You will. Scary thought of the day.